It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Crowd cheers. Here's Siddle. He's got Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Two Slips in a Gully. Um, I'm excited about this. Just had our big intro music. I hope you enjoy that intro because I don't know how long we're going to be able to hold out with the copyright on that one. But, you know, uh, I'm excited. Yeah, we're uh, broadcasting on the eve of the second Ashes Test. I'm excited about that. You excited about that, Scotty? Keen as mustard, mate. What about you, Aaron? Oh, you know me, I'm always jittery on the uh, eve of another test match, so I'm super excited, cannot wait, hoping the weather decides to do some nice things for us, because it's looking pretty bleak in London today, but you never know, test, no, ma- test matches are too It's not things. happening, positive pretty, thought. You're in a pretty good spot when the biggest thing you're worried about is, uh, is uh, the weather, I think. <laughs> the weather on a different continent. <laughs> I think England played the rain card last night, boys, after uh, being at the pub too long. He's <laughs> open. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, someone else do the agenda because uh, I don't know what, what we're talking about. So <laughs> All right, so um, in today's, today's episode, we're going to do a bit of a tribute um, to the South African cricket team of the late 2000s, early 2010s, led by Graham Smith in honour of uh, Hashim Amlar and Dale Stain announcing their retirement last week. Um, I think it's pretty safe to say that if Australia wasn't playing, we we went for that South African team. They really appealed to us, that team. They were probably our second favourite team, and it's really sad to see that that year of players is... Um, Come gone. Pretty sad news, eh? Just yeah, just yeah. Very very admirable players. That it, it's hard not to like that team, or any South African team really. I can't think of a South African team that I've hated. But um, you know, three really good fast bowlers. You know, an era of um, entertaining batsmen. And they won everywhere too. They went over and, and won at home. They won overseas, like in the subcontinent. 
Like they were number number one ranked test team in the world for quite a period of time. Um, they what I really love about the balance of that team is at one point you had A.B. De Villiers as the wicketkeeper and Jacques Callis as the all-rounder. And normally in a test match lineup, your wicketkeeper and your all-rounder are your weak links in your batting lineup, and they both averaged over 55 with the bat. <laughs> so yeah. you're looking all right when your two weakest positions are arguably in your batting lineup by averaging north of 55. Well, Jacques Callis is the all-rounder of our era, really. I can't think of anyone better. Well, the only argument would be is whether or not you consider him better than um, Sagarfield Sobers. I think it's the only argument before Jacques Callis at the moment. He's a, a magnificent cricketer. Yeah. He left some runs out there, arguably, as well. Kind of retired out of nowhere. And uh, this, uh, the next thing we'll also cover is uh, we're going to enter a segment we're looking to enter when we got found the right episode for us. We're going to go back in our... Time machine here and have a look at um, some test matches that are very dear to our hearts, some of our favourite encounters of test cricket uh, that we've been lucky enough to witness. So, Scott, what test match are we going to be covering in today's episode? The test match will be that um, 2006-07's Ashes series, the uh, awesome Adelaide test, second test of that series. Good test. Cracking test. Yeah, vital. That was the thing. Is like, I guess with, with this segment, if we're going to use that terminology, is... um. We're going to uh, try and, you know, find important tests and just really, at the time, really shape the landscape of test cricket. I think this is a pretty good starting point, personally. So do I. I think it was not only important in the series, I think it really set the tone and really set Australia up to get that that whitewash that they were so obviously looking for. But, um, yeah, also really defined the attacking brand of cricket Australia played. They got themselves, well, England thought they got themselves in a position where they couldn't lose the test match. They certainly couldn't win it. But they thought they'd got themselves in a position where they couldn't lose and they'd get out of Adelaide with a draw and head into Perth at sort of 1-0 and then um, fell in a massive heap late day four, day five and left the door open and Australia kicked it in and we all saw that when Mike Hussey scored those winning runs. Just an important juncture kick as well. It's, it's a, just... You know, from go to O, very interesting and amazing test. Yeah, I think the last truly dominant side that Australia had um, from that era of the late 90s, early 2000s, where we were expecting to win pretty much every series. You know, even even I remember back then, if we drew a test, we were very disappointed. We had a <laughs> brilliant team there. I mean, so we had the likes of Shane Warne, McGrath, um, Justin Langer and Damien Martin all retire from Test cricket yeah. in that series. So they, they um, could have staggered it a bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and just arguably Australia's still recovering from from that time as well. Like you know, we still haven't found when uh, we probably may never do again. We won't find the likes of Shane Warne and Glenn McGrath and oh mate, the goat. Come on, <laughs> even, the goat. even Justin Langer. Like to, to have that opening partnership back again would just be amazing. Yeah. Like Davey Warner, for as much as we love him, just, God, bring back Hayden and Langer for me. <laughs> well, right. yeah, so we'll get into that um, and cover off the ups and downs of that test match, and it's coming up next. So we're going to have a bit of a talk about that um, fantastic South African team led by Graham Smith, um, sort of the back end of the year, the year 2000s, heading into the 2010s. Um, a phenomenal team, Um one at home and abroad, um, had champion players from top to bottom. You had Graham Smith opening batting, middle order, A.B. de Villiers. Uh, Jacques Callis was, you know, an all-time good all-rounder. Mark Boucher, 
finish his career with the all-time leader in dismissals. He had that um, pace attack of Stain, Philander, Morkel. Um, the team just didn't have any holes in it, and everywhere they went, they played cricket at an elite level and dominated. And just thought uh, with the retirements of Dale Stain and Hashim Amlar over the last sort of seven to ten days, it's uh, sort of brought that era of South African cricket to a close. It ought to be a nice morning time to have a chat about some of the some of the things that um, that South African cricket team achieved. Yeah, it's sad, really. If, for me personally, if, if I could like put one buzzword to to that team, I think it's say diverse, just really diverse, but also just lacking like to be considered one of the great all time teams. I think um, just lacking a really good spinner, I guess, is the only real missing link in that. Yeah, who, who would have they had through that era? Well, they had Nicky, Tahir in and out, and they had um, yeah, Nicky Boy, yeah, Morris, right? Um, just. Yeah, just a lot of different ones. And they, but they did, and that was probably one thing that stood out for that team as well, is the fact that they, that what we were screaming for at the time as well, which is frustrated, it was just kind of mix and match players to play in different um, surfaces and different arenas. And they would have, they would have yeah. killed for Maharaj back then. I mean, he's, he's going pretty well. All-rounder. They were a team that, um, that travelled everywhere and, and executed well. They just had solid fundamentals. Like, like Graham Smith, um, captain from a very young age, um, averaged 48 with the bat, scored something like 27, 28 hundreds over his career. And an important statistic that a lot of people forget about this is every time that Graham Smith scored 100 South Africa, like they didn't lose a test match that Graham Smith scored 100. That's a phenomenal statistic. Just mm. an archetypal leader in a lot of ways, like one of the one of the great captains, I'd say, of, of cricket. And I, and I think really important considering too that um, in his own words in an interview after his retirement that um, with all of the internal politics going around with, you know, racial selection and quotas and things like that that um, the South African Cricket Board was putting into their team, that Graham Smith got the preferred 11 that he wanted for a test match or for a cre- any cricket match, I suppose, less than half the time. In his own words, so 50% of the time he went out there as a captain, he was sitting there going, I really wish I could have had that other bloke in my team instead of this guy. And that's got to be hard yeah. to open the batting you, and run a team like that. You can imagine, like, how annoyed do I get when we get a weird selection from the selectors, <laughs> let alone having that for, I don't know. I, I mean, if you say that it's for no reason, that's that's a bit political. But, you know, um, you know, to, to have, what, it would be two or three guys where their selection would be because of the quota. I suppose there's a number, like you're looking at guys like Philander and Rabada more recently, they're, they're making the team on their own merits. Um, I yeah. think that's all it, it is. Mackay and Teeny as and well. Is another one. Yeah. Um, um, we were just talking about it off air, that that's, it probably cost them a World Cup final berth in 2015 when they had to rotate Vernon Philander into the semi-final against New Zealand, leaving Kyle Abbott because he was having a fantastic World Cup out. Um, so, yeah, so certainly would have played, played hard on his mind. We know how hard opening the batting is in test cricket and to average 48 and be a captain and be a captain in, in that sort of environment is incredibly impressive. Yeah. Uh, they were just that kind of team, too, that just didn't give up. You know, like they, they would be down but never out. I can remember that they, they still hold a record, don't they, for chasing a fourth innings total in Australia. Um, yeah, four fourteen. Um, they also um, it was a series at home against India where they think they were chasing four fifty to win, and they scored four hundred and thirty odd. But um, they lost their last batsman with not that long to go, so they were down to the bowlers, and they basically sent Dale Stane out with the instructions that um, 
you're not to chase these runs down, we're not to risk the game, um, see us out the game, we'll win in the next test. So they played the long game in the series and gave up a chance of chasing down 450, and, and they were well ahead of the game. So I think that they've got the highest fourth innings total that didn't win a game as well. So well, I think it was something about 430, 440. They weren't that far away from winning the whole thing. Wasn't there like that, that typical moment at the end of that game where like, it was either Dale Stain or Vernon Philander just smacks a six off the last ball just before stumps and then he turns around at the stump mic and I, I might be paraphrasing, I think there was a lot of blue language <laughs> used, but he basically just said, we could have chased it down. Those runs were ours kind of thing. Yeah, it was Dale Stain. He came out. He caught the brunt of it. He came out and had to block out probably most of his deliveries and the crowd was sort of understanding what was going on, but they weren't going to go and try and chase these runs down and started booing and, you know, Dale Stain, as we were talking about in our last episode, is that competitor that wears his heart in his sleeve and you could just tell watching it was killing him to have to... <laughs> so it was just sort of that last ball. There was no chance they were going to lose and he just hit whoever was bowling for six and you could just sort of tell that was the, you know, we could have done this. There was That six was definitely for, to the dressing room. It wasn't... Yeah. Because the ball was there to hit, he was just like, we, we're good enough to do this. We should be celebrating. We should be enough. a fly on the wall in that dressing room after that. Stain versus Graham Smith. And, and that's more and that's more of the like the same, I guess. You kind of, you, you're pointing out that you knew when you were playing South Africa, you had to get a lot of runs on the board, especially if you batted first because they batted just so deep. Like You could get down to Vernon Philander was a very good batsman. Even Dale Stain on his day was just batting for ages, and then we scored that uh, eighty against seventy eight yeah, against us. That, that basically was, cost us the game. That yeah, was that, yeah, that was the one where Hussey had that catch that was skied, and it was just like straight into the sun. Yeah, that like comical one where he's like looking over yeah. here, and that's Mike Hussey. Oh. You just saw him just not even react to the catch, and he was like, "This is going to be a tough day." watching to be an Australian. <laughs> yeah, that really translated to podcast too. When I'm like, <laughs> "Oh, and he's looking over here, and the ball comes down over here." You've all yeah. seen it, right? Come on, if but you're listening to this podcast that far, even you're that fanatical of a fan. Even further though, as well, with the that, I remember that 2005 um, team they brought over. Which is probably just a bit before the like the, the good bowlers times, but definitely a lot of those batsmen in there, and they were just that 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 test where AB was just he batted for days. I think he faced like three hundred odd balls, and um, yeah, that was the um, that was the Adelaide as well. I think it was the was it two thousand and ten tour. No, it was later than that. I remember that yeah, AB de Villiers scored thirty six off two hundred and thirty five balls, and. Faf Duplessis scored 100 off 300. and That's sticking in my mind, too. And um, drew the game. We had that game well in hand for a long period of it. We just couldn't knock um, De Villiers or Duplessis over, and they held out to, to keep the series alive. And I think that's what we love about South Africa. They come in and they, they fight to the Middle end. So like Graham Smith coming out with a fractured hand to try and save a test match. Oh, that was great. Um, well, that really defined... Like, what everyone thinks about South Africa. Well, that South African team, at the very least. And then to bookend it with that, that Ryan Harris's, well, I think it was one of his last tests, where he just bowled and bowled and had to just basically, you know, bludgeon this South African team into, into submission in a game where it came down to, like, the last, within the last three overs. Oh, yeah, that, that was that game he was on basically one knee and Michael Clark threw the ball and said, I need you to win this game. Um, yeah, so we're massive fans of the South Africa cricket team. And you're looking at there, you've got that um, that new ball attack of Dale Stain and Vernon Philander, who averaged low 20s with the ball and was probably, the, in my opinion, the best opening duo I've seen. I know that people are going to 
chant about um, Stuart Broad and um, James Anderson who have taken more wickets. But um, in terms of an intimidating upfront bowling attack that could go anywhere in the world, I don't think anything's more scary than that Philander-Stain combination. It's more your typical fast bowling attack, isn't it, where it's just, you know, it is mean, it's scary, and you've got the perfect combination of accuracy and just... Yeah, Philander was Red like a surgeon with the ball, wasn't he? Just the control that he had with seam and swing early up. And then at the other end, you got Stain, who's coming down and, you know, he's touching that 150k per hour mark. He's swinging the ball away. And if you get on his bad side, he's got one that's headed straight for the badge. Like, it was really... And then you, like, finally see them off and you've got Mornay Morkel, the man mountain, coming in off the long run-up. Yeah, well, we I think... Of... touched on it last week as well. But where, where, where do you guys have Dale Stain in... In the picture of like your, I guess you like your, your Dennis Lillies and your Glenn McGraths and your Kurtley Ambrose. Yeah, I think he's got to be in that top tier with those guys you pretty much just mentioned. I'd have him. I'd have him. I'd struggle to name more than five fast bowlers that were better than him all time, and I'm probably struggling to get to five. Like I know you, there's an argument about longevity, and you've had players that have, you know, Anderson Broad and McGrath that have played longer careers. But if you're looking at the pure output, pure cricketing output that they came, I, um, arguably Tomo missed as much time. I'm, I'm not sure about the numbers as far as years off and how long, but um, Dale Stane missed as much time as Tomo, and like he's still mentioned in you know the top echelon of, of quick yeah, bowlers. So I, I'd have Dale Stane top five all time. Fastballer. Um, I'd definitely have him up there as well. Arguably something even in the top three. Like, the guy was... So he's he had everything. He, he just... He's carrying drinks in the all-time team. <laughs> well, mate, I mean... You <laughs> well, you've got, to be better than, you've got to be better than top five to make the side. <laughs> and, I mean, that's the thing is you, you can sit here and... We can, we can only really judge on the cattle that we've seen. And we yeah. obviously haven't seen a lot of those really good fastballers. I mean, we haven't seen Joel Garner go around. I saw Kurtley Ambrose, but I was only a kid. I saw Dennis Lilly bowl in a beach cricket game once. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know for me personally, I would pick Dale Stane in my World Eleven along with um, McGrath and Curly Ambrose. That would be my attack. But I can certainly see that. Who's facing up to that attack? <laughs> I can certainly see arguments for other players. But um, for my personal opinion, that yeah, he'd be in my World Eleven, my World Eleven side. Um, but yeah, if you if you look crunching numbers, I can't see more than five fast bowls you'd have ahead of we're, Dale Stone. We're very close to opening can of worms here in picking test teams. <laughs> which is, well, we which is a whole lot of fun we could have at another time. I'm sure we'll have a podcast out soon where we'll just spend the entire time bickering about World Eleven selections. <laughs> just, I guess, just reading out stats. I guess this is an important time to mention our, uh, our little <laughs> new Facebook page. We might even get something going on that, I guess, at some point. Yeah, start, we've started a, and stuff. a social media empire. We have a, a Facebook page and a Twitter account going. So, um, no. Look us up, Two Slips in a Gully, in the name of the the, uh, the group. So we're conquering the world, too. Like we've had some listens in the Netherlands. So we're big in Europe now. So yeah, we're yeah, big in all. Europe. So if you're listening from the Netherlands... Shout out, guys. <laughs> yeah. um, so continuing on, touching on that theme. So we've obviously mentioned A.B. de Villiers, who I think is one of the, the great batsmen of the modern era. He was a guy that you know, almost flawless. Like we've, we've spoken about the 36 off 235 balls to save the Test Adelaide. But he's also a guy that can slot into one-day cricket and score a hundred or two hundred off a hundred balls. Just, just a talent. Young, like young guy came into the team very young and just looked at home for a day dot, basically. Now, spin, seam, extreme pace. The guy just looked unflappable against everything. That tour where Mitchell Johnson went to South Africa it was just after he won the um, 
the 13-14 Ashes where Johnson destroyed England with pace and bounce. Went over there and took South Africa apart in the first test and just decimated their top order. A.B. de Villiers strode out, and I think he was the last wicket out, scored 90. There was a whole team with him up being skittled. And I was watching that test, and de Villiers was just standing up and playing everything out of the middle of the bat. Like, this is like he got Graham Smith out. He got um, oh, the, most of their top order he made look uncomfortable with, with pace and bounce. Um, and de Villiers just stood there middling everything. It was phenomenal to watch and just... Really gutted that we didn't get to see more of A.B. de Villiers. He was a, a genuine, talented player. Yeah, started out as the keeper, too, so that was an extra responsibility. Yeah, it was really like, like we were talking about before. Like, um, Yeah, he kept. You had Jark Callis in that team. Who Boucher must have been out injured at that point. I think, yes, actually, yes. I, think, I think it was just after Boucher retired after... Um, oh, the head getting the bail. Oh, horrible right. luck. They, oh, my um, gosh. They How many more dismissals would that guy have taken if that hadn't happened? <laughs> oh, you would have thought he would have played on for another three or four or five years. Boucher just was just an awesome keeper. Like, yeah. One again, of the, again, another guy you can talk about as you know possibly being one of the better players in his position. And also one of the last real men of cricket. <laughs> <laughs> well... He probably I mean, he retired, but <laughs> <laughs> he only retired because he, because he was missing he, an eye. He, but... medically, he medically couldn't see. I'm sure he still would have played if they let him. But even if we go off the um, off the fact that if he played right up until they um, gave quit in the cock, his test debut, that was still another couple of years, and he already retired with the most dismissals of all time. So you know, Mark Boucher was a very important cog to that side. Like that team, like I said, that team was flush with talent from top to bottom. Just, um, just quietly though, like the. the what are they doing with keepers there? Like they've got some, you know, some very good keeping talent coming out of that country. And like to like AB de Villiers probably would have kept for most other countries at that time. I don't know about keepers, but have you seen the factory line of fast bowlers that South Africa seemed to produce? Stain, Philander, Alan Donald. Now they've got Giza Rabada. They, they must have um, transported some of those coconut trees that they had in the West Indies back in the seventies and planted them in seedlings going. The saying was shake the coconut tree in a fast bowler Absolutely. Fall then, like, I mean, there's there's good just talent scouting across the globe for that stuff. There's also Pakistan seem to find, you know, it just seems to be England and in India really that can't seem to find a good 150k bowler. But other than that, going pretty well. I don't know about that. They've that pace battery they brought over to Australia this summer was all well over 140. So I think they're they're getting there. They're, India are starting to find some genuine wheels on the pace attack. So yeah, they're getting better. I mean, but it's just I guess that's by pure numbers, and so they, they, you're going to see a lot more talent as long as they keep the talent scouting up. I guess that's going to be a solid thing for years to come. Yeah. So um yeah so uh, like so uh, hopefully it's coming across that we've got nothing but adoration for that South African team because we are. Well, I know I feel very privileged to have watched that team go around. Um, watching, like, Graeme Smith is probably one of my favourite openers of all time, just the way he went about it. I can't speak enough of how um, how courageous it was for him to come out in that uh, last test at Sydney with a broken hand and nearly see the game out. It was one of the more impressive things that I've, I've seen to the, to the outright ridiculousness of the talent was- that De Villiers had, to the grit and grind that, of... Fact, people see and players like that. That was an amazing yeah. test moment. There was not a like in a usually pretty partisan Australian crowd. There was not a single person who wasn't behind 
Graham Smith trying to back oh, that Everyone had that standing ovation as he walked out. If nothing else, it's just the fact that he won over a pretty parochial Australian crowd just tells you volumes about how we kind of love that we love the even if it's the opponent we do love the getting off the mat and fighting a good fight absolutely athletes we can you definitely have to earn it in australia Mm. i think the the classy thing about that too is they came and asked him about it um you know would he have gotten would he have gotten out of you had he never broken hand and he just put his hand up straight away and said that ball that johnson gave me was that good that even had two good hands i still would have missed it so he's you know um a fierce he knows he just what leader. to say in the press conference. Um, <laughs> humble. Oh, he's just a, like a, and a genuine, hard-working guy. And I can imagine, you know, I can imagine it would have been hard work being captain of that South African side with all of the political pressures and things going on in the background. Um, certainly would have made things tough. And he took that team from a young age and he made them a, a cricket powerhouse for many years. They were comfortably sitting number one overall in the rankings. Um, you know, and not only in Test cricket, but they were a one-day international powerhouse as well. They just kept tripping over their own feet when it came to World Cups. Um, so, yeah, they, they, just a quality team, and I thoroughly enjoyed. Like, I love beating England. I love beating India when Australia plays them, but I love playing South Africa. Love like, watching them, absolutely. Just, that's a really apt way to put it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> Righto, guys. Now I think it's a good time to let's uh, let's jump in our time machine, boys, and uh, go back to the uh, the first of December in uh, two thousand and six. So yeah, we've just uh, not long finished the first test of. Of the uh, 2006-7 Ashes series, won it. Just I, I, like I, this is personally the reason why I think this was a really good starting point for um for this uh, step back in time classic Test match thing was that um we it was it's just a really important point in the in the juncture of Australian cricket. I think was we got just not long finished the 2005 Ashes, obviously, and um. Australia just really had that shattered, that shattered um, awe of invincibility and confidence was shaken. Like, like we were talking about before, boys, um, the the Dad's Army label was very much bandied around and had they all lost their touch. Yeah, I yeah. think this... Sorry. You're right. Um, so I think before the 2005 Ashes, which we lost over in England, I don't think we'd beat, been beaten since, like, the 80s. I think that, that Alan Border side... We, when, yeah, we won in 89, and that was the last time I think we lost an Ashes series. Yeah, we won 4-0, and that was under Border when we, we were a very quite weak side, which he was bringing back. And um, through some mixed tactics by the English English captain slash team. <laughs> who, uh, get us away. Oh, Maurice Mint. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely worth mentioning that they did yeah. use um, use some mitts on the ball to, to get the ball to swing a bit better, and yeah. it was tested to the point where it was tested to be um, what would make the ball swing best. So ball yeah. tampering, very topical at the yeah. moment. Yeah, so I mean, Michael and Marcus Descoffe uh, tested to make sure they found the right one to get the ball to swing. But I don't want to. Let's not stick on but, this. We could get a. But there was also but, some. But, I think it's worth mentioning. There was also some, it, some, yeah. some very strong <laughs> leadership tactics shown by Vaughan. In, like you know, he, he said, "Go have beers with the boys. Go have beers with the, the, that great team. And don't 
don't idolize them anymore. Don't see them as this, you know, unbeatable team. Just try and get in there and beat them. Yeah, it was a great philosophy shift. He was he was sick and tired of England walking into a test match already beaten because they were looking at McGrath, the invincible bowling machine that put it on a spot and got you out. They wanted to see as McGrath, the bloke, you know, that, could, that was a good cricketer and, you know, all these batsmen that were just piling on the runs everywhere they went, you know, that they were just they were just like them, they were cricketers like them. So, I, yes, it was a very important um, the tactic that Michael Bourne took to get the Ashes in 2005, yeah. but it doesn't matter because it was a filthy cheat. <laughs> <laughs> but he also... And then, then it obviously is worth mentioning that Bourne wasn't in that team, but then they came in with this uh, this brash, very young all-rounder as their captain in Andrew Flintoff. And well, Flintoff was the captain because Bourne was injured. That's why I didn't... Yeah, but still, it, it made it made him that, definitely that unknown as far as coming out and well, very new-looking team in a lot of ways as well. We, all, we personally all of us think that making Flintoff the captain was probably a very big mistake as it was way too well, work. And that's, that's what the gift of hindsight, I think, is because at the time we were just kind of like, you know, he's a good player. And I guess it does. It, it never really follows that the good, best player is your, um, your best captain, but he was definitely yeah. in that mould where you were just like... He was asked to make plenty of runs in the middle order. He opened up the bowling and bowled at 145-plus, and then he was also the captain on top of that. And I think that was just because... Flintoff was going to be the first one. Well, picked. I, I think that was a very big, um, like, turning, like, factor in the 2006-2007 the, the series. Flintoff played out of his skin in the 05 Ashes. Um, and, and if you look at those um, speeds that he was hitting, he was hitting 150Ks in, in uh, 05. And then he came, came out here, got given the captaincy, and he was lucky to touch 140. He was playing injured as well. He was on painkilling medication almost every test for his knee. So, yeah, again, yeah. another thing that you didn't want to add to your, your ailing fast bowler to no. carry the batting, carry the bowling, and all captain while doing well, it on one leg. Well, that combined with so many other captains as well, just uh, didn't like maybe just didn't want to bowl himself as much either. Just, I can understand them making captain because he's definitely a guy that people can get behind. You know, you've, you've seen him in his in his media career post cricket that he's just got a charisma. It probably he's got a presence. It probably uh, won't be a very common thing in Australia very often that you'll see a all rounder or like definitely not a bowler be the captain. But um, yeah, it, it 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 was definitely very at the time very kind of is this a master stroke or is it a is it just a, a bridge too far for the bloke? So heading into this test, um, they uh, went into. The, the Gabatoir, as it was known, and England got... Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> I've heard that before. Soundly trumped. Um, the, the Aussies got up a, a really big win. Uh, we all remember the harness and ball, which sort of set the tone for that test yeah, match when he yeah. bowled at the second slip. Uh, so uh, Ricky Ponting scored a 190 in the first innings and just went, the Aussies went from strength to strength and, and knocked them over. And that's the reason why this test was um, really so poignant early on is because we did the same thing at Lords. We knocked it, um, England over really cheap at Lords and won that first test quite convincingly. Um, went into... Um, and then a series of unfortunate events. It was like someone flicked a switch on our luck, you know, between Lords and Edgbaston. And, and that was the thing about England was, like, they weren't, they weren't necessarily statistically the best team out there, but they... They were tactically right up there with the best teams during that era. Like they, they had an era of dominance around that time as well. After like once, once these boys retired, they won all the cricketing moments. The, the, the when the 
when it was in the balance, uh, England seemed to come up trumps more often. Bit of a different, like even when you're talking about the South African team, like you know, South African are like us. They 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 wanted to win a game by winning it five nil or four nil or three nil. Whereas if you're playing a England were quite happy to we'll take a draw in this game, we'll win this game, we can win at these grounds. Very tactical, just like like I say. Um, and then yeah, so we're just we're sitting there with the like really the perfect juncture of uh, you know is this going to be two thousand and five again? But on yeah. soil, is this going to happen again? I think everyone was, <laughs> and it certainly looked worried. that way. England put a massive score on us at Edge Baston and took control of the test. Here they won the toss, got out batted and scored 551 in the first innings. For declared, um, Kevin Peterson scored 158. Collingwood scored 206. Um, really took control of the game early. Um, Australia in reply were actually 3 for 65. So they had all of those makings of looking exactly like how the uh, the Ashes went over in England. That um, We you know, started off strong early and um, England came um, clawing back and... Made us pay in the second test. It was. It can was can we just go through the lineups that they took into that side? So, so um, I think it just gives us a bit of context. A bit hard with England because they they didn't they didn't make a lot of changes. I think they had series. Giles in that. So test, their yeah. batting lineup was um, Andrew Strauss and Alistair Cook. They opened up batting. Um, Ian Bell came in at three. Paul Collingwood and Kevin Peterson. Um, Andrew Flintock was the captain. Uh, Gerard Jones, um, Ashley Giles was the spinner for this. Um, yeah. Hoggard, Harmison, and James Anderson with their bowls. So basically, they were trying to recapture that that O five um, thing. I, th- I think the great thing about that team, you know, like on paper, there was no way that they could beat Australia, but they all knew what their role was. You know, Ashley Giles was a controversial selection for that test because everyone thought in the England camp that they had Monty Panesar there ready to go. But they went with Giles because I think it was very tactical. Giles was that bowler that sort of did a job for them. He kept things mm. tight at one end so their quicks yeah. could go down. And they, he just didn't leave so, runs, and then they had four quicks. Well, just And he was just there to give those four quicks a rest. Just to back that point up, in the first innings, um, Shane Warne bowled 53 overs, was one for 167. Yeah. In the, uh, at a, um economy rate of three. Classic Adelaide, I guess. Um, Ashley Giles, <laughs> while yeah. 42 overs, one for 103 at an economy rate of 2.45. So he, that's, you know, he didn't... That very well illustrates what they were trying yeah, to do. Just dry they, things up. They, they, didn't all, they weren't all world beaters, but they knew what their job was. And that's, that's, that's how they won in 05. The spinner you want when you don't have a star spinner in your team, I guess, is just a guy who can just really tie up an end. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, go on. <laughs> so, yeah, so moving from there, so England, as we said, was well in the ascendancy. They finished up five, uh, sorry, 551 for six declared um, with those two big scores from from Collingwood and, and Peterson. Uh, Australia came out in their second innings and they lost Langer Hayden and Damien Martin really early. Um, then it was a recovery act, Ponting, who was just, the gold stand for this summer. I just remember him just hitting everything out in the middle. Went on to score 140. Um, Michael Hussey um, scored 90. What a find he was. Absolutely. That was when he was only just a permanent member, I um, think, of the side. And Michael Clark actually scored 124, and that was this was his big series back. He'd just been dropped from the side. He only made it back into the first test because um, Shane Watson got injured on the eve of the test. So That's he was, right. He wasn't yeah. even in the 11 for... This scored a 50, I think, in the first innings <laughs> and sort of 
got himself another test and then went on and you know went from strength to strength and scored that hundred. We ended up being all out five hundred and thirteen. Um, and then so we conceded we conceded a, a thirty odd thirty run. run. Deficit 30, on the first inning. And even to that point, you're just sitting there and you're just like, well, what's going to happen here? Is this going to be a draw? Is it going to be a win? Is it, it was be... certainly looking like a draw. That was sort of coming towards well, the end of day four at that point. There'd been nearly over a 1,000 runs scored in the first innings. We're getting to the end of day four. I think England certainly took it as it was going to be a draw. At the end of day four, England were uh, one for... Hang on, I've got the... Stats here. The end of day four, England were one for fifty nine in their second innings. Yeah, so, you're thinking was, everyone's thinking draw. It's, it's a typical Adelaide road. Yeah, so know, they're looking yeah. at ninety run lead, eighty run lead at that point. You've got three sessions to play. You know, they've got nine wickets in hand. It's going to be a draw. I wonder and then, if Nathan Lyon prepared that pitch. <laughs> <laughs> the goat helping us from way back. <laughs> Um, and then, yeah, oh, this is I think this is the innings that really makes this test. This, the, the England second innings is why this is such a classic test. So, obviously, they're coming into the beginning of day five. They're one for 59. They've got things well in hand. And just, yeah, from there, it just all unfolds. Shane Warren. Well, one side wanted to draw that. Like, and, and the other side came out and they just believed that they could win it. And why wouldn't you when you were in Australia in that era? They thought they could win anything. Just going back to that well of confidence that they had. Well, I think that was a big thing. I think Ricky Ponting and Shane Warne famously come out and said, look, the game's still alive. Did we knock these guys over early? And we're still in this game. So we need to go out there with positive intent and get early wickets. And that's exactly what happened. Um, so coming from his one for a hundred dot. um Innings in the first inning, Shane Warne came out, took 449. Um, like all, all the bowlers did their jobs. Uh, Lee took three for, uh, two for 35. McGrath took two for 15. Stuart Clark took one for 22. Um, Michael Clark had a really important run out to start that day off of Ian Bell. Um, I forgot how good Stuart Clark was. He, he really was a great, great player, but he was just too old when he when he got into the side. And that's, and that's <laughs> like when you you knew that Australia were on when you just saw that like, that that field, and it got even better when arguably when Martin left it was just like, you had that offside where you're not stealing any singles off those guys. You got Clark at point, you got Simons later on, and Martin that point or or cover. You've got. These guys are just right at you. you. You can't help but be looking out the corner of your eye, just going, like, where am I going to get this so that I can, you know, get that some runs off this? That's the hallmark of any good Australian team over any period has been how good they are in the field. You, um, yeah. Yeah, they, whatever, Alan Border famously said that whatever we, we lack with our attack, we will make up in the field. Or whatever we lack runs on the board, we'll save that in the field. Like, it's just been from... Yeah, from really the Kim Hughes era onwards, it's just been real focus on their fielding, and that's what Australia had with that Ponting, Simons, Clark. Yeah, I remember it's talking a, about it's it. A good, it's a good Gordon too. I mean, you know, Hayden, <laughs> Hayden, Border was really the he was really the, like the 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 architect of that. He just kind of came yeah. out and said, you know what, we're we're lacking in skills at the moment, and just kind of just built this generation of this is the standard that you need to be at. We've dropped off a little bit from that because I just don't I don't see that intimidation as high in there. And I mean I guess it's a generation of players I we have at the moment as well. I don't well. think we've dropped off. I just think the rest of the world's caught up. I yeah. think there's Yeah. Um I think Australia still holds its its fielding in high really high regard. I don't think quite as high as it was um I mean, in previous years, though, I guess. Yeah. Well I mean I I think um, at least in the era that I've been watching, the pinnacle of our quarter has got to be when we had 
Taylor at first and Mark Waugh at, at second. Um, Steve Waugh in the gully and then Shane Warren would have been in the herd slip. There's no safer quarter that I've seen than that in world cricket. And then I think in the ring too, you're looking at Simons, Clark, Ponting. They've all been really good. I still think we're, we're good in the field. I think we've you got guys are younger than I am. <laughs> any fielding champions. But we, we still, like someone that's, like Steve Smith's obviously amazing in the field. Guys like Glenn Maxwell have been but really even, good in the field one day. Cricket. I he's got a drop in he, he, he can make a blunder. Don't get me wrong, the man makes up for it. I, I, I think we're looking through rose-coloured glasses here. I, I, I know even that famed cordon of Warren, War and, and Hayden have had drops in them. Oh, like, there's uh, no rose-coloured glasses of Warren. He, he definitely had a drop in his was um, Then there was that time they put Michael Slater in the cordon. <laughs> oh, have that, we heard that, about that, that in Channel 9 commentary? Tubby, tubby got him for years. A bit wicked. Oh, <laughs> oh. Um, anyway, we're back onto Australia, though. <laughs> um, yeah, so as we talk about so that second innings, one thing I really liked, and I think it really set the standard moving forward for Michael Clark's career as a captaincy option, because I remember um, Kevin Peterson had just come with a crease. In the first innings, he'd scored 158. He just didn't look troubled by Warren at all. And I remember Clark coming from wherever he was building. He came up and he patted Warren on the back and did some pointing, things like that, and whispered in his ear and he went back off where he was building. Warren immediately came around the wicket and then a couple of balls later bowled him around his legs. And the first thing he did after obviously cheering his wickets, he looked straight at Michael Clark and pointed at him. I think, you know, you could just tell that that team was switched on and engaged and they were looking at ways to win that test. So exactly what you're saying. And there's a lot of respect. Like, you know, like the, the guy um, yeah, a, the guy was still young in that side, um, but, you know, they respected each other's opinion. It was, it was just a really important, uh, like, Thing to note is just the, yeah the, the guys the guys would always know that you know if, if you slacked off a little bit and that like that was the that was why they were arguably the pinnacle of test cricket was just you had to be on your game it's a, it was a test going out there every ball there wasn't an easy ball out there you had to yeah, yeah they, they were trying to find you they were trying to find a weakness probing the whole time can you imagine going out there to bat too like it would have been the classic eleven against two people. You know, yeah, <laughs> the chirping would have been like way up. You feel that in games, but you, like there, there are times I think you just kind of you, you can forget it and you can kind of zone it out. But I just don't think it would have been that easy with that team. Just, oh, and you're sitting in the dressing room watching it all unfold. You imagine getting down to someone like um, Flintoff or Geraint Jones, and you're expecting to not really have to bat at all. And just after watching the just the procession of runs that was the first four days, and all of a sudden, you know, you've four, five, six wickets down, staring down the barrel of having to have a run chase and not a very big one because you haven't got any runs on the board because you've been playing ultra-defensive. Well, yeah. That I, adds even more pressure. Well, I actually don't quite understand why they they went out and, and were ultra-defensive because even if you're trying to draw that kind of game, putting runs on the board is just making more runs that Australia have to chase later on. Like... They got that tactically wrong, and it was, it was kind of typical of England of that era. I guess, they just, I guess it all spoke to the fact that they didn't they didn't have a plan B, C, D. Even know. if you're looking at here, so yeah. Um, tell, tell me how many balls. So Strauss, they... Strauss faced 79 deliveries for his 34, which is not too bad. That's, that's all right. You're still being um, positive. That, that that's okay. You know, yeah. Cook was out early on the looks like late on day four, I should say. He got nine off 35, but Ian Bell. 26 off 73. Paul Collingwood, 22 off 119. Yeah, I mean, you take that a reasonable run rate and you get, say, you know, like 
50, 50 strike, sorry, strike rate. 50 50. strike rate ends up saying... It ends up on 50. Yeah, and they probably win the game. Well, not win the game, they save the game. They save the game, I think the big ones, you go, even go down to to Freddie Flintoff, like, a guy who was just a hitter, like, he was known as a hitter for his entire career, like... Yeah, 24 deliveries for too many... Two? Yeah, too many blocked innings, and yeah, he's scored at a strike rate of eight. Like, usually he's taking those 24 balls for 20. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Maybe. But see, that's the thing, that's the pressure, he's the captain now, and he's just, he's, he's come to the crease when, um... Four for seventy three when Flintoff. Oh, sorry. When no, he would have been coming in at three for seventy. Sorry, um, staring at the barrel of you know. Oh, I need to shore things up here. This isn't going well at all. Then all of a sudden, Kevin Peterson gets out straight away, and he's then it's four for seventy three. So he's all right. I'm now down to you know me and the bowlers here. I've got to sort of calm down a bit, and then yeah, and he's got too many things going through his head. Well, yeah. you've got to, you, you, the guy that's, you know, Paul Collins, probably the guy that he ended up not out. So I feel that uh, some of his innings at the back end must have been him sort of farming the strike and trying to absorb time and things like that. But you, yeah. when you're there for 119 deliveries, you need to be being more proactive. If you, Especially with the wickets falling, you need to be looking at um, getting some runs on the board to save it. At, at or, this stage, or even win it, you know. Like, they, they don't know. They could have... At this stage, I'd like a dollar for every time I met a met a batsman like Paul Collingwood at Test cricket, where you just sit there and go, "This guy's not going to have a long Test career. He's he's, he's not going to do too much." Well, he came out a double hundred, amazingly. <laughs> and that was the thing is, even the Aussies were sledging him before this Test series because yeah. he got that he got the that, old um, MBE MBE for playing one Test that was washed out, and then yeah, just basically saying he didn't belong there and went to prove it yeah. tenfold even. Oh, he was canny. Like, oh, and a gun fielder, handy of part-time. He also clean-bowled Mike Hussey at an SCG test in that 09 series. Let's not talk about his... Oh, oh my God. <laughs> military of media. <laughs> so, um, so going from there... Yeah, like, I just... England like, managed to get... Capitulate to be oh, all I out think for we, 129. Unfortunately, we do have to talk about the drama around uh, Damien Martin. Well, well uh, I think we'll get to that at the end of this. Okay, all right, go ahead. Um... <laughs> I just, I just remember, like, for me personally, this is, this is like, just an interesting point because still, there's a very good chance that England could have drawn this game. Australia had to score a run rate of five point, five point one, let's say, at the, um, at um, in, in the last inning. So we're sitting there, and 2020 was just a new concept at this point. I remember thinking myself personally, it's just like Australia have to kind of That's put a lot of work to fire, do the, fire the jets to get there. And um and 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 there was talk about the time the commentary and stuff like that where they're just like you know these these are tricky chases sometimes because you you do have to score runs to, to get it and you have to take risks and Test cricket it's all about you know it favours the bowler when you're taking risks. yeah I mean Hayden and Langer just batted like that then you know Langer was Langer at the end of his career was very different from Langer at the start mm. and that's the thing is Australia were in a very awkward spot to start they they lost Langer and Hayden quite early yes yeah, so they were certainly going for it they were um. Going at a run of ball, one one thing I remember from this for about specifically about this run chase is that um, I saw up to the point where England were dismissed, and it was my high school presentation night, and my grandfather had come down because I was winning an award for I can't remember what it was now, but I was winning an award for something in school, and we were going to my presentation night, which wasn't a big deal. It was going to be presentation night didn't start till seven, and obviously the the game would have finished somewhere about 6.30, 7 o'clock with um, daylight savings, so I was comfortable. 
Mum comes out, I'm still in my school uniform, got home from school, had been, you know, ditched a couple of classes to sort of watch it on TV at school, got home, saw England been dismissed, ready to watch the run chase. Mum said, get changed, we're going out to dinner. The tantrum that I threw. <laughs> There's no way I was missing his run chase. Gotcha. Unfortunately, uh, I didn't have the pull that I needed to make that decision, so I was probably marched to the car, went down to the RSL, parked myself somewhere where I could see a TV and was watching a run chase. That will go down as one of the classic dummy spits in all time. <laughs> that was the thing, and then, and then it led to you... you Glad that you got to watch that classic moment at the end where, uh, where Mike Hussey just hits that four. Cricket is bad. History was made. Cricket, watching cricket is bad for that, though, because you watch it for so long and not that much happens, but then... Well, you get to something's the about to happen, yeah. other people want your attention. And it's... Um, yeah, it's just... It's just not happening. Taking five days of your life is quite a juggling act sometimes. The ashes are 25 days. We will admit that, but you know, it's well worth it. So moving from, from there, so like we're saying, we lost Langer and Hayden pretty early in his run chase. Then Ponting came to the crease and steadied. Again, coming everything coming out of the middle of the bat. Only one short of 50. He ended up scoring um, 49. Um, Hussey was well entrenched at that point. Out comes Damien Martin. I believe he's flays one through yeah, his favourite area at backward point. He basically comes down the wicket. And it's, it's a short ball, and I think he tries to hit it over cover for basically six. And and, and I think what happened was uh, it, it was caught by Strauss, I think. I remember. I can visualise the yeah, shot. Yeah, caught slip by Strauss off Flintoff. Oh, was it, was it from slip? I feel like he skied it. Maybe maybe I'm imagining Gully things. Anyway, um, yeah, so in my head, he uh, tucks his bat under his arm. Puts his gloves in his helmet as he do and walks off. And instead of taking the turn to the dressing room, he just keeps walking. And gets on an aeroplane. Had <laughs> to, to check the bat in the customs. <laughs> yeah, well, I apologise. I just checked it. You're right. He hit it to oh, Strauss at the point. Oh, they've still got the commentary there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and okay, as I said, that's the last time we saw um, Damien Martin. He left, flew overseas. Um, this is a bit that. Took me a very long time. I, Danny Martin's name was, was mud with me for quite a long time. I was quite upset about the fact that he left his his teammates during an Ashes series. But he didn't even tell his team. He, he called Ricky Ponting after he touched down in um. It was the United, I think he went to the United States. I remember right. I think it was. Yeah, it was LA. It was, I'm pretty sure. Um, so they sort of had the after wrap up. Hanging with Paris Hill. <laughs> he, um, they did the aftermatch wrap up and all that sort of stuff and then after the team sort of went their separate ways after the, the end of the day he got on a plane with the country and that's it wasn't coming back and mm, yeah, the, I mean, the series was still a, alive at that point as well so it was 2-0 still it's another interesting talking point I guess in when, you, when you're drawing up a narrative for this kind of thing where it's just like it was a sign of things to, go, to come I guess where obviously you had well, and like it was announced to be fair by the other blokes, they they all came out at the end of that series. But then it just it was kind of or oh, we knew we, 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 we are and retiring. That was called at the beginning of the series. I think Langer announced his retirement after they won the Ashes at Perth. Like he came out and said, "I'm, that's it. Home I'm, I'm, I'm this is my last time at Perth. I'm going to see out the series, and that'll do me." Um, and for the whitewash, um, it's just it's just interesting that yeah, it's kind of just like. 
imagine imagine like another team, another test team trying to replace Shane Warne. Then add three, two yeah. if not three more legendary players. So to that as well. the best spinner yeah. of all time, the best fast bowler Australia's had, top two or three all time in McGrath. Um, arguably one of the best openers we've had. The most successful opening partnership yeah, any yeah, country's had. Different. One of those have left. Yeah. So I think Hayden was probably the better of that partnership, but I think uh, but Justin Langer yeah. averaged 46, and it's the start of his career. He got thrown to the, the dogs of the, the West, West Indies. It's Yin and Yang. You need, you need that kind of you – need, you need that aggression with that. With like, that niggle and that fire. I think they've got a career economy of over four runs and over that they scored at as an opening yeah, partnership. They, something unbelievable. Yeah. The hardest time to bat, and they're going at four runs and over, which yeah. was at the time was a run and a half more than the average of a test cricket at the time. So and, and, and Martin is the forgotten man. Um, I, yeah, I will say this. He copped a lot of flack in the media because Martin, I think, had a very lean time of things in Australia. He, he toured very well. Even the did. tour just before this, he scored some very important innings um, overseas, but you know, yeah. unfortunately, that sort of didn't translate. <laughs> it's to not the way that you win over the Australian public. Yeah, and he <laughs> was under a lot of pressure. He hadn't scored many runs, I think, in the, the Brisbane Tests. He'd been a bit lean for runs, yeah. both in the ODIs and the Test matches for quite a while, and he came out and failed twice again. And but and he, he was happened. a guy who had his career average up over fifty for a long time. Oh, absolutely. And then fell away at the end of his career. I don't think oh, it's just a typical Test career, isn't it? That kind of stuff. Yeah, just, I suppose you've he, got to you've got to get up above fifty so that when you do fall away. <laughs> well, uh, he was one of the better batsmen to watch. So how good was he for oh, cover and point and beautiful. those back foot shots? Like we yeah. like Damien. Like. Oh, it's taken me a while to forgive him, but like we were fans of Damien Martin's game. Like just, just that classic. We, we unearthed that quote the other day. I just remember I shared with you boys of um, Ricky Ponting coming out and uh, just direct quote saying, "If you're averaging 35 and under in um, in my era, you are we're probably going to be handed a, a rugby ball or a soccer a ball or something ball. <laughs> to take up that sport instead. Just like these guys earned their runs and they earned their spot in the side. And if you lost your spot, then Unfortunately, you were giving up a chance to be in that spot. I, I, I've talked about um, how Damian Martin was dealt with very harshly to um, in that South African game, which you guys were probably too young to remember, me being older. I think it was in about 93, so I'm, I'm eight years old. You guys are about four or five. Uh, <laughs> I, I was three. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know... Um, so I remember watching that game. It was against South Africa, a South Africa that had Sean Pollock and um, Alan Donald in the side. You know, if, if you're going to talk about Stain, you've got to talk about Alan Donald in oh, the same breath. White lining. <laughs> um, and, yeah, Damian Martin sort of walked out as, as a replacement for somebody and got a start and then hit one to cover. Um on the full and was out and he got blamed really badly for that loss. I think Australia were only after about a hundred odd and got rolled for 80 or something like that. Um, and yeah, spent eight years on the out. In the wilderness. So it's the story of a lot of those players in that team. It's the same kind of story with Matty Hayden. Justin Langer had a stint out of the team as well, but these guys just 
You know, they, they, they did their time. They went back and scored runs. You know, there's players that players you're looking at getting overlooked for these guys. Martin was in the test wilderness for eight years or so, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From 93 to 2001. Yeah. But, yeah. And then we just ended up, because of it, they were, they were forged into this amazing team. Yeah. And so, um, you know, circling back to the Adelaide test match, uh, we all remember that iconic image of Hussey pushing that one through the covers running forward, um, you know, the yes, call of yes, they sort of just blended into a, a longer cheer of celebrations. Yes. He run down his arms aloft because he knows he's knocked over the winning runs and won just a, an absolutely incredible test match. The first four days were probably pretty boring, and I think that's probably what we love about just test cricket exactly. so much is that the, like, where most people will be thinking, well, this game is petering out to nothing. It can turn on its head just like that. And I don't know about it. boring, you know. Like, it's well, just when, when, test cricket. When England put that score on us, we were on the edge of our seat because we're, like, watching a guy score, what, what was it, 190, you said? No, 200 to Colin. We got 158. Yeah, no, I'm talking about Ponting. Oh, Ponting scored 140 in the first inning. Like, that kind of innings when you're that far behind the game. Yeah, it was, was pretty definitely, classic. Definitely gripping, but it certainly there wasn't a lot for the bowlers in those first sort of three, four days. So pretty indicative team though as well. Um, yeah, and it was a, a match that just looked like it was just going to be those ones that just succumb to the weight of runs and becomes just a another another draw that's really impressive for the batsman's average. It turns into and that's a real well, that's of, Adelaide, like isn't a it? real that's, turning point for the yeah. series. Like um, I think it re- that really set up the. Uh, the whitewash possibility that England were in an amazing, like an amazing opportunity, like position of the match. Like they had that match in a stranglehold for a, a long period of that. Yeah. And, and then it was just a matter of the boys just two you know, sessions that have just all fell to pieces. Proved that dad's army, if you will, by the <laughs> media, but these guys just came out and they, they, they still had some fight in them. They, they weren't willing to just be, you know what? Let's let's let this peter out and try and win it. And the other ones, they they were out for revenge. They were out for domination, and they did it. Right. And then I guess the float on from there that you know they take the next three games and it's a five nil whitewash. Something that had only happened I think one what in one series up to that point. I believe that was the first actually the first whitewash. Could be wrong. The first five nil. I, I think, think it was the first five nil whitewash. Yeah, because yeah, they, well, they, they used to play more. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Or less. I can't. Yeah. Um, but yeah, certainly, I think they certainly really set the series up for the, the dominance of Australia's show. Up until that point, the series, up until probably, what, the end of day two, the series looked like it could have turned out exactly like um, how it did in 2005. England were, you know, well and truly in command of that big, big first innings lead, cracked the Australian top order open early, um, you know, making it look like they had the match well in hand and... And there, from there, they went into, you know, capitulated in the fourth innings. Well, the third innings, and Australia went on a win. Went into Perth, got uh, <laughs> walloped. got walloped at Perth, and that just went just from strength to t- strength for Australia and made such a really long tour for some of those players. It was, um, but I guess the yin to that gang is that, yeah, we like you know, like I say, Damien Martin leaving, then you've got those three other blokes leaving as well, just. Opened up our team and completely left us vulnerable. And then England, at the same time, while they they dropped in this series, they they went on to have a quite a good 
next so decade of or next five years. Yeah, we're looking at that. Alistair Cook was a very young man for that series. He didn't have the best series over here, and he went on to be definitely better time. A, a fantastic, um, fantastic opener for, for England for a very long time. Fantastic captain for England for a very long mm. time. James Anderson came out here and was had a pretty tough series as well. Went on to obviously now he's the leading wicket taker for any fast bowler. Even Andrew Strauss wanted um, to captain that team for a long time. Yeah, it might have just like um, made them hungry for it. Yeah, really set the stage for a, for a period of dominance. Yeah, just, it, was, it was just a good juncture, I think, in, in the test landscape in that regard. And then, what well, by no means Australia didn't go on to be a terrible team, but they definitely rebuilt and. Like I say, they they're definitely still in a lot of ways rebuilding. Like we're still, you know, we we found we found Gary. Thank God we found Nathan Lyon, but we spent a long time trying to find that spinner. <laughs> the spaghetti oh. theory oh, again. Let's, let's see. I don't even. I, I reckon we should have kept Michael B. <laughs> Throwing off spinners against the wall in that instance. <laughs> well, that was our that was our strategy until we found Nathan Lyon. That we throw we just. We've given up baggy greens to guys that can spin the ball. I mean, Steve Smith was picked because he bowled leggies and was blonde. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's what we forget and, and, about and the guy that's now averaging well you, over 60. He was picked at number eight as a spinner. When you're comparing off spinners to Shane Moore, it's just it's just like, you know, that's that's the legacy that these guys had. It's just you, you're always going to be, as that position in the team, you're going to be compared to the best player from that last era in that position. Same thing with the keeper. And I, I, I'd actually like that about this era is that we've got Tim Payne now. We're not comparing him to Adam Gilchrist, which is because he's just a completely different kind. He's a good keeper, can give you a bit of time with the bat and can play a few shots, but he's nowhere near that aggressive player that Adam Gilchrist is. But no doubt the next guy that comes through will be compared to Gilly again because he was... He was the blue ribbon standard. We've well, got a lot to live up to, Alex Carey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see, absolutely. But Carey's got it in him yeah. to an extent. Right, guys. Well, thank you very much for travelling back in time with us to go and revisit this test. Um, like we said, we're broadcasting this on the uh, eve of the second test in Lord, so we're all very amped for that. So we've, got to, we've got to come back into the, the present now. So we're going to hop back in our time machine and we'll get back in time. We'll get back to the present so we can have a look. I don't know, boys. I, I, like, I like the idea of hanging out with the time before <laughs> I, iPhones. And, I like 2006. <laughs> it was a better time. I was at school. But you know, there's, a, there's an Ashes series that needs us, so we will see you back in the present. a horrible sight after getting out of our time machine so it looks like weather has uh, gotten the better of our um our cricket teams over at lords it looks like there's going to be rain all day which is you know killing us inside i was so excited too you, you know go back and listen to the intro that's how excited i was let's hope we're wrong <laughs> so um so at the time that we've made this uh it is uh 10 o'clock local time over in England, and uh, the word is that they may not even see any break in the rain until 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so hopefully that's that's not the case and we get some play. But uh, So we'll just do a quick touch on what we think is going on with the with the test. So Australia have made some changes to their, to their squad. They've dropped James Pattinson from the squad. Interesting. And they've brought in Hazelwood and Mitchell Stark to a 12-man squad. So the uh, idea being that one of those two will make the 11. 
For England, obviously, we will, as we touched on in the last podcast, they've had some force changes. Uh, Joffre Archer's coming for James Anderson. Called it. Moen Alley's been dropped for Jack Leach. And they've also brought Sam Curran into the 12-man spot. And the word going around there is that possibly that Joe Denley is going to make way for the all-rounder in Sam Curran. So Scott Scotty, back in the game. Scotty. He called it. I think he's a quality test player. That's all I wanted to say. That's right. You're yeah. a leading wicket-taker. Bet he's looking a lot better than mine with James Anderson. <laughs> he's uh, currently sitting down on with only one working leg. So yeah, um, yeah I mean, like it's a race to the bottom there because I think Josh Hazelwood who hasn't played the test yet. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like our boys are alive, Glenn. Yeah. Well, so yeah, very yeah, very interesting potentially how it's going to turn out. Um, Hazelwood for Australia looks like he's got his foot in the door to get that last bowling spot. Um, yeah, haven't got yeah. enough years to the ground to see what they're going to do with uh, Curran v Denley. So I suppose we've just got to wait till there's a break in the oh, lane and they can I, have the toss. I, I read something that said yeah they're, they're leaving Denley out, so their lineup could potentially be looking at uh, Roy Burns Root. Um, who's their number four? You'd have to imagine that would be then Butler because Denley's in four, so everyone yeah, Butler, shut up. Stokes, Bearstow, uh, Bearstow, and then bringing one of their bowlers up to number seven. So you think it'd be currently currently yeah, better batting that sport. Yeah, all works. Better batting credentials and Wokes. Wokes has got a good average. In. I don't think they could go either, go wrong either way. I don't think it's really going to matter too much if it's Wokes or Curran, but you'd imagine it probably Curran. So is, is Curran an all-rounder, or is he? Is he oh, he's a definitely bowler. scored handy runs for him. He's a he played for the Sixers in um, the T Twenty series. Yeah, right. So you, 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 you know I don't watch that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he was handy enough in the bat. I'd say probably Wokes. Wokes or Curran will fill that will that seven and eight spot depending on which way they turn. A bit like our lower or just well, toss a coin kind it's, of. It's pretty bowling heavy because you like it kind of. If they do go with that, and we're not sure. What that says to me is that there there might be some concerns over Ben Stokes's health going forward in the series. You'd think that um, was, the three the three quicks and Stokes would be enough. He was bowling a bit of a in the first game though, really wasn't he? Yeah, just spraying it everywhere for me. So obviously he had a bit of a workload because he had to cover for James Anderson. But you'd think going in with three fit bowlers and Stokes would be enough. Uh, the fact that they're compromising a but pretty fragile middle order that they showed in the first test to bring Curran in as an all-rounder when they've already got Stokes is a bit strange. That says to me that yeah. maybe they're a bit concerned about Stokes' well-being as a bowler. You might like, be right there. I think he's. They might be looking at. I, I, Hopefully, it's just a matter of managing his workload. Well, not hopefully. Hopefully, he's injured. He doesn't bowl another ball in the Test series. But I think for a, for a good series' sake, I think he um, hopefully he's just kind of they're managing him and trying to get some more less bowling under his belt. It could also back. be that obviously that like I think Stokes is probably the most talented batsman in that team, not named Joe Root. So maybe asking yeah. him, he might slot in at four, and they're asking him to <laughs> shoulder a lot of that batting workload, and they're going to take a lot of the stress off him, so he doesn't have to be that bowler. That's, that's a fair point. Jack Leach at seven. He's coming off of almost hundred. Yeah, well, he, last <laughs> time out he scored ninety nine on opening the batting. Opening the batting, he might slot into that middle order somewhere. Just on Ben Stokes, I think it's interesting that he, he definitely is that. He's a short ball player that's good at test cricket, I think, more than a test cricket batsman in a lot of ways. And I think that's kind of... That's what I don't like about his selection of Sam Curran. As, you know, I want him in there to take the wickets, but I don't want him in there because, like, Joe Denley's a test player. Like, he should... Like, you've obviously picked him to be the best test batsman and you've gone with an all-rounder. There's no one to grind it out, is there? One one plus one doesn't equal three. It's, you know, you've got to get a batsman for a batsman. Like, 
you need to have batting in there. It's just it's test cricket. Well, and and sharing that ball around, you know, like. You so know, well, looking at this, the forecast is Lord's Test. There's not going to be a uh, great deal of time, so maybe they are looking to maximise their uh, wicket-taking potential by slotting in the extra bowler that can bat a bit, expecting there not to be a, be a bit of a push for wickets. I'm not oh, sure. Yeah, we could be reading too much into it, and they've just got Curran in, and they end up going with Denley. Oh, yeah. Theory, yeah, I think it could be a bait-and-switch from the, the English. Yeah, yeah. well, that, and that's, you know, it'll be interesting to see what it actually happens with all that. There's a bit of mind games on both sides, you know, like only naming 12 so that they don't know who they're going to be facing mm. until the very end. All right, well, we'll have to just wait and see. I don't know about you guys, but we're going to go outside and do our anti-rain dance. Um, so we'll be able to see a bit of rain, uh, see a bit of uh, play today, hopefully, before we've got to go to bed, before we've got to work. It's kind of like the nut bush, bush that uh, anti-rain dance. <laughs> so whatever works. Whatever works. <laughs> Um, so, uh, thanks for listening, guys. Hope you've enjoyed our sort of trip down memory lane to talk about the Adelaide Test and our uh, uh, fond memories of the South African cricket team. Like we said, we've got our fledging social media empire starting. So, if you're on Facebook or Twitter... Like and share, guys. Like and share. Look us up. Two slips and a gully. Um, love for you to follow. Love for you to join our group. If you've got any uh, any questions or any comments you want to throw away, tell us how good or horrible we are. We're always happy to... Listen to feedback. Um, oh, mostly positive, good. please. Please positive, please. <laughs> uh, again, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks very much. Bye. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.